Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Good morning, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall on Coming Up for Air. I'm sitting here with my lovely co-host, Kayla Solomon. Hello, Kayla. How are you this morning? Good. And you? I'm well. And Dominique Simone Levine. Hi, Dominique. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm well, too. Thanks. So I'm going to hand it off to Dominique because I think you have a great topic for us to cover today. Sure. So what I'd like to do for us is and for our audience is to run through what eight to 12 weeks of doing craft looks like, because in the research on craft, it was over 12 weeks. Families were trained once a week in a one-on-one setting with a master level clinician over 12 weeks. And they were taught about craft and how to apply it to their situation. Right. And so a lot of times when we're talking on this podcast, we're talking deep, we're going deep into craft, deep into communications, deep into dynamics, but you can lose sight of what's the point. What is the point, right? We say the point is connection. Most importantly, that connection, regaining or maybe having for the first time that connection with your loved one with addiction. And that is really the way you're going to thread the needle is by connecting and having the ability to be heard and to listen at a point when your loved one says it hurts, says, I'm sick and tired. I I don't know what to do anymore. That's your signal to wisp in with a pre-practiced written little script, which we called a request to maybe look at options for help. So here's how all of that comes about in 12 weeks. The studies found that in half the time, so six weeks, families were able to get most of their loved ones who were going to get into treatment, into treatment. So the approach can actually work much faster, but let's say it works over 12 weeks the way it was intended in research. Let's do this in slightly fast motion so you can see the movement this time instead of my describing the features. So let me just clarify, are we talking about a loved one that lives with you? Is that the presumption? It's not a presumption. Either way, okay. you walk into craft for the first time and you, you hear that this is going to help. And typically why? Because you've hit a point. You're a parent, you're a husband, you're the grandparent, and you're saying enough is enough. I'm tired of this. I'm done he can just go his own way. I can't do this anymore. I have to let go of this. It's starting to really affect my life. That's typically a moment in time that I think every, every person who loves somebody with addiction gets to. It's like, I've tried, I've been nice, I've nagged, I've done everything I can think of, and we're still in this place, right? So enough is enough, is enough I give up. It's not recreational drug use. I know that by now. My child is now 24 and they're, they're failing to thrive. It's clear there are problems and our relationship is affected. His relationships, her relationships are affected, right? So what do we do? We come into craft and we tell you the family that in about 12 weeks, we're going to get 70% of your loved ones to seek help. 
even though right now they're sitting in the basement, they don't want to talk to you, they don't want to help anything. So how do we get them from the basement not wanting to help to walking into a recovery center, a detox, an IOP, a soccer team, you know, all kinds of recovery activities, right? Here's what we do. First, we teach you a few basics about substance use disorder, how it has this, this relapse tendency, how people try to moderate, the study of moderation, harm reduction, the need for it, the appreciation of things are not black and white. We teach you soon after to stay safe. And this is important before you start any of the active craft work. We want you to assess your situation. We want you to go through our domestic violence safety plan and put together these actions that will protect you and make you more aware of safety currently and in the future. Because even though you're on this site working craft and you've been warned and told not to do craft if your loved one is physically violent, our families have all experienced verbal violence. And for that, you are allowed to do craft. It is a good idea to do craft. If you have physical violence in your family, you need to address that first through domestic violence help. And we have a number of places you can go to on our site. So we taught you a little bit about, about substance use disorder. We've assured ourselves that you understand safety, that you're in charge of your safety. You're on the site. We can't assess your safety. You've done what you can to stay safe. You understand that addiction, even though somebody has maybe never been physically violent, you don't rule it out in the future. You don't know what's going to happen with them when they don't find their drug, when they all of a sudden try something new. You just don't know. So we want you safe. So now we want you to look in weeks two or so, we're going to show you how to pick apart the pattern of your loved one's use. Yeah. So we call it the ABCs that we want you to learn about. And this is what you've mostly focused on until now, right? The bad behavior when he's using, you're aware of that. And you probably know that, but you probably don't have enough specifics about why he or she used right then, what went on right before. And you know there's a time after they've used that they're going to withdraw and feel bad, right? So those are part of the patterns. And we can help you get a lot more specific about why they're using, what they're feeling, what they're thinking before they use, what they're thinking, what they're feeling after they've used and are withdrawing. But we also want you to learn about what they're thinking and feeling when they're not using. And this is something many families probably don't have a good idea about, is the specifics of why someone doesn't use in that moment. Is it because it's Sunday night and they have to get to work on Monday, they're going to lose their job, they're already in trouble? Is it because they have a drug court coming up and they don't want to get a dirty urine? I don't care what it is. There are moments when they don't use, and we want you to get much more able to observe and recognize those. And so then we move to communication because as Lori is fond of saying, 80% of communication is in the tone, is in the manner, is in the body language. And yet we know that 70% of all interactions and dynamics in a relationship has to do with communication. So this is the big, big area for you to learn as a family member. And it's not that you don't communicate well, it's that you need to communicate in a way specific to the addiction in your loved one, to what they're saying and, and doing and how you are responding. And the first thing to do 
is teach you a little bit of uh, around some communication skills. And all we need is for you to get just a little bit of this information and attempt a few changes in the way you communicate. And I believe we have you for life. Craft will have you for life because in that moment where you've just had enough craft, you've infused just enough craft into your communication skills, just the minimal amount, you will be hooked on craft because you will see the difference in the way your loved one responds to you. I can stop as best I can being sarcastic with him. And he seems a little calmer. He seems to stay in the room a little longer. Then I add, tell me about your day. And I don't use it as an opportunity to get my digs in or to get my suggestions in or to get, you know, everything else I want in and in his response, I'm going to sit quietly and listen to him, just really listen to him and maybe walk away without actually saying much of anything. Say, hey, that sounds like quite a day. But once we have you, you're going to notice that right at the beginning, and this is week three and week four, you've had a few little tiny successes with communication. And you realize there's something to this craft approach. Here's the nugget. Here's the core. Just that change in the little bit in the interaction that we're having together. So we teach you to add positive talk. We ask you to drop the negative talk, such as sarcasm. We teach you how to listen. We teach you how to reflectively sit, listen. So all those communication skills are so critically important because your power in this relationship is in the connection you have with your loved one and in the boundaries that you set to protect yourself and your loved one. Isn't the reflective listening kind of an added piece that Allies in Recovery adds to craft? So all of the communication skills are craft, but then Allies added this really powerful tool, reflective listening. Reflective listening is simply mirroring back what what you hear your loved ones say without adding anything, no analysis, no attitude, no buts, no nothing from you. You're just continually just sort of parroting back what you're hearing in a way that keeps your loved one talking. Yes, we've added that. And it's a basic principle of motivational interviewing. It's what therapists are taught to do. So we're teaching you some solid therapeutic skills. We've also are the ones that added negative talk, cutting out negative talk. And we put that first because it's the easiest to try in theory. And you'll see immediately when you cut out something like sarcasm or arguing with logic, all of these things that we show you don't quite work. You see what, how differently your loved one responds when you try these. And it's immediate. It's so satisfying. It's proof of concept that craft works. You're going to see that you can open a whole new different relationship with your loved one. And this is the starting place. And this is the place you're going to need to use your communication skills to talk with them. And in this next piece, and how you respond and behave around them. So the behaviorism in craft is the ability to step in when your loved one isn't using and step away when your loved one is using. In the moment, in the day, right? So now weeks four and five and six, you're practicing communication. Your loved one is less angry, less uptight. You are a little bit less angry and less uptight. You're learning to stay calm in moments where you're seeing use. You're learning to be strategic in moments when you don't see use. 
and over six, seven, eight weeks, you've really made a huge difference in the dynamic of the relationship between you and the person you love with addiction. To this, we add something else that wasn't done in the original craft work, which is in addition to making lists of things you used to love to do that you stopped doing because addiction has taken over your life, you, you no longer have time for yourself, you don't go out with friends anymore because they're tired of hearing you talk about your loved one. Whatever it is, this is the place where you come for some, some immediate self-care, which you'll find is equally as important as anything else we're saying here today. And that self-care to this we have added, uh, which wasn't in the research, the basics of cognitive behavioral therapy, like how feelings affect behavior, how thoughts affect feelings, how catching that thought early can change the feelings and the perceptions that you have. It's a huge fundamental learning point of cognitive behavioral therapy that we should all be aware of. We are seeing things through our lens, our perceptions, our history, our own perhaps slightly warped experience. So it's important to try and get you to see how your negative thoughts emerge how they spin, how it creates worry and obsession, how it leads to almost paralysis at times, and how you can start backing your way out of that. And then by weeks five or six or seven, you have a different person in your life, you. Your loved one is still doing what they're doing, but they're less resistant, they're calmer. You're not, you're not using every dead space in the conversation to get your message in or to get your worry in or to get your you got to do this or else the end, all of that. And at the end, by the end of this, we help you write a little scripted request, which is a request to do something, to seek help. You can make it specific. You can leave it general. But at that point, you're able to sit down in a moment where your loved one is saying, I just can't seem to get myself going. I'm tired of myself. I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, so a dip or a wish, right? You're hearing this in your loved one and you're, you've been taught to listen to it and you're able to step in in that moment and say, Hey, you know what? I am so proud of everything you've been trying to do. I know the pills have been a problem and I know you're still trying to moderate with them and, and you're, doing the very best you can, but obviously, you know, it's not working entirely. I wonder if adding a little bit of gym would help you get some of that anxiety out in a way that maybe the drugs are doing for you now and can help you to maintain your desire to moderate the pills. I have found a gym. I can pay the membership for the first couple months. It's up the road. There's a bus that goes there. Lots of young people doing great things in there. I thought maybe you, you'd like to check it out with me. I often talk to families about that particular piece of it and will often tell them that, you know, you can introduce these recovery type activities without even bringing in substance use, right? Like you can introduce it in, hey, you know, I was going to get you a birthday gift and I wasn't sure what to get you. I know you love to exercise, or I know you love playing the guitar. I was thinking, what if I went up to the local, the uh, new CrossFit gym that I saw opened up, up the street? What if I got you a membership like for a couple of months and you could try it out and see if you 
No mention of substance use or anything. No mention of problems. Just my problem is I'm trying to find a gift for you. Or like music lessons. You know, I know you haven't picked up your guitar in a while. And I thought maybe I go to the local music store or I call up a teacher and see if maybe you want to take a couple of lessons. And also joining in. Maybe it's something you're interested in. So I was thinking you and I could do it together. Just finding ways of introducing these new type or old type of activities that you're hoping to re-engage your loved one in. And also with the introduction of new activities, a lot of the time people go overboard with this piece of it and they introduce it in a big way. And I would strongly suggest that you start small and then move bigger as their interest gains. So just for example, um, I was working with a mom and she was like, I already tried that. I offered my loved one to go away to like skateboarding camp, something like that for the summer. And I was like, okay, hold up. You know, let's try and look at it from your loved one's perspective. What you're asking them to do is to move completely away from their substance and go away to another place, their substance, their friends. And clearly your goal is to get them away from the drug for a significant period of time versus, hey, um, how about if you and I go down to the skateboard park and I'm going to sit and watch you skateboard for a little while. I know you love doing it and I've never seen you skateboard. I'd just like to see what you've got to do, you know, what you can do. So small little pieces versus away at camp for the summer, going away to camp for the summer. I bet automatically the response is going to be, yeah, no. So starting small and then expanding on that as time goes on and trying to replace kind of old using activities with new activities that the person finds enjoyable. And it can be the small things and it can be treatment. It can be your child is living on the streets And when you see him, you now have these much gentler, much more loving conversations. Hey, I'm glad to see you. I know you're having a hard time. I want you to know I'm here. I'm never going away. I have found a bed and a treatment program. I'm just gonna give you the information. You've got the phone. They're expecting your call. They know who you are. When you're ready, give them a call or just show up. I have a mom right now whose daughter 20 has run off to San Francisco after threatening suicide and is on a multiple number of drugs, including fentanyl and maybe meth now. And, you know, one suggestion we're making to her is get that treatment door open in San Francisco somewhere nearer to her, if that's possible, like a MAT program. I was suggesting Suboxone to start her for the fentanyl. So can we find a MAT program that we can get her somewhat admitted to without her? or at least know where she's going to go, have the receptionist know her name, you know, something that helps with that handoff into treatment that isn't so cold. But you just leave it there open for her and you say, when you're ready and you will, you know, and I know you will be because the streets are no place for you to be and things are going to get hard and rough. They'll walk into that. They'll walk into that. And it's happened. I've had it. I've had it happen a couple of times, especially with young women who are in danger on the streets in these big cities. They need a place to go to that's safe. The boyfriend, dealer, whoever's on the street with them, 
he's gone, he's not doing anything, he doesn't have the drugs, I'm in withdrawals, everything looks horrible. In that moment, they have it in their phone, walk in right there, they're expecting you. Yeah, and I think as we're doing the overview, it would be possibly useful to talk about the kind of background as well. So there's this process that you're going through at the beginning for eight to 12 weeks, but as we know, just think of it as cycling through many times because, you know, the miracle of, oh, 12 weeks, you know, it's not like the 40 years in the desert of the Bible where they come out in the new generation has started out. Dealing with substance use is a process. And I feel like if we could look at this as a process of learning new tools and skills and different ways of being, that's what craft is about. That's what Allies in Recovery is about. And you're learning and practicing new tools. You're putting new tools in your toolbox. And the practice of change is not fast. Okay, so hopefully there'll be something happening within the eight to 12 weeks. I don't want people to walk away from this thinking, oh, I've been doing this for a year and there's no results here. What really you're looking at is look at what has changed. I think of craft as a very positive way of looking at this because it's so easy to get hopeless. It's so easy to feel defeated. It's so easy to give up and just go back to what you've known and what you've always done. But what this is about is you keep staying on this path. It's a, as we like to say, it's a lifestyle change. It's how you communicate, how you perceive, how you take care of yourself, how you engage with other people. How do you feel connection even when things are difficult? And how do you change what your priorities are in terms of what matters in terms of this relationship? That's gigantic. It's gigantic. And to be able to see what's working on a microscopic level, I think is powerful with people who are trying to clean up their using, you know, it's not just, oh, I'm clean. That's a process. It's a lifestyle change. So it happens over time. It's like a wave. So it's going to come in and go out, come in and go out. And as long as you stay on the path, things will change. I love this idea of eight to 12 weeks and getting your loved one engaged in either some form of recovery, you know, recovery activities, treatment, whatever that is, and kind of opening it up to this broader definition of what recovery and treatment is, but also understanding that 12 weeks doesn't mean you're done with craft. What Kayla is saying is you are going to continue on with it because craft, it was originally created for those treatment resistant individuals, right? Is how is how it's termed, but it's actually applicable to everybody. So you can have your loved one just engaging in risky behavior. Implementing craft is going to help with that. You can have your loved one actively using implementing craft is going to help with that. You can also have someone who is still struggling and maybe has has gone into recovery and then has a recurrence. Craft is going to help with that. You're going to keep doing craft because craft is going to help with that. And then you can also have someone who's in recovery, but still struggling with maybe other behaviors that come along with substance use. Craft is going to help with that. So yes, 12 weeks is a nice goal, but remember, you're not going to, it doesn't end there. You're going to keep doing these craft skills, hopefully for life, because really they are life-changing. I can vouch for that because they changed my life. We have all had our lives 
I think, remarkably changed by the work of craft, though. I know it's it's still very hard after all these years. Like in communication, it's very common for me to start out with craft and then I just get impatient. I lose it and I and I dump everything I was thinking about saying and I say it. And so it, it doesn't actually help. But I always try to start that way. It, it's not an easy thing to learn. All of what we have in craft here is relatively straightforward, but you're going to find applying it is not easy, but so rewarding so quickly. And in 12 weeks, you 70% of people have agreed to your offer to help and have gone and done something. In the research, that offer to help, the help was all treatment. We've expanded it to include recovery activities and other things that compete with the use. But in 12 weeks, you can gain all you need to go through this process. And as we're saying, you are likely to have to do it and use it for a longer period. Your, your loved one has addiction and has this propensity to become addicted all through their life. And so when you've understood the pattern, when you understand how they think, how they feel, what's going on with that use, what's going on when they don't use, you're given the information to start to move in in a strategic way and say, this is a point where it's pointless for me to talk to him because he's, he's looking for change at the bottom of the, of the drawers. He's calling everybody he can. He's out of his mind. I am staying away from this. It's too late for me to do anything but remove myself. He's using. No point in talking to him right now. He's using. We'll end up in a fight. And nothing's going to be remembered, and it's all going to go cockeyed, right? So he's withdrawing. Well, at that point, I kind of like to let him sit with it. It's not supposed to be comfortable. You're not supposed to show up with chicken soup. You're not supposed to say, hey, you know, it'll be okay. It's not okay. And you can sit there alone and puke for a few days. I'll bring the bucket. And really, you're not being mean. You're just being neutral and simple and doing the very least possible to ensure that he's safe, that she's safe, but that you're not coddling or saying that's not the point and that's not the moment to go in with any strategic conversation. Understanding that smaller pattern that you're always in, and if that pattern is non-use, then you know your job is to step in, reward, use your skills to further improve the connection and the, and the joy and the life that you've both found. But in general, this toolkit is pretty much all you need. What we would like to have to offer you at Allies in Recovery, and we're fighting with governments and institutions all over this country to get them to understand that there's power in the family, that there's training that needs to go on in the family, that the family has amazing influence, and that they're there already, you're embedded, you're in the house, he's down the street, you know him, you know him best. You're a resource that nobody has recognized because we have called you codependent. We called you, um, you nag and carry on. You're part of the problem. You know, it's all of that stuff has been repeated and repeated. You feel shame, um, you feel impotent. And so we want you to have case management. We want you to have access to treatment for your loved one with your ability to set that treatment up. Right now, treatment programs don't allow you to help your loved one get admitted. And so there's a lot of other work that we want to do to support families. But this craft-based program 
is the essential starting place. And Allies in Recovery is basically saying to the family, you can be helping, you can influence, you can really be supportive, you can be loving. We invite you in to stay a part of this process. We're not going to tell you to leave. In fact, we don't want you to leave. We don't want you to completely disengage with your loved one. We want you to build on your connection and get rid of this stuff that is, uh, what's the word, that's kind of complicating things more. How can we move the family member? And I think that's a missed piece in module three when Dominique talked about trying to look at the pattern and look at the signs and look at your loved one's patterns and signs. It's also an opportunity in module three to look at your own patterns and your own stuff that's going on so that you can change those patterns so that your loved one can change their patterns. But Allies in Recovery is about, no, we want to invite the family in. We strongly believe that the family is really a great foundation towards supporting people, individuals in recovery. So this is a great discussion again, and I'm going to invite Kayla to go ahead and why don't you summarize it and close us out for the day? So in summary, basically, we're looking at a process that if you really throw yourself into takes between eight and 12 weeks for one. Well, I see it as one part. Hopefully something will happen after the 12 weeks, but also you're learning the skills, you're implementing the skills. And I just want to add that this is a practice for life. It's not about just this one person. The way you practice it is with everybody in your life. You start changing perspective, changing your interactions, changing how you see things, noticing the positive. There's all these skills that we're offering that you get to practice all day with everybody in your life so that when you're dealing with the person who's dealing with the substances, you have this practice set and that you don't give up. And with all practices, it's not about getting it right. It's about continuing to try with it. And to continue to look at it and say, okay, that didn't go well. How do I do this? And you keep, you stay in, you stay in. And again, the 12 weeks is just one part of this process. If you're dealing with somebody who has substances, you want to be practicing this in the long haul. This is not temporary. This is a permanent shift in the relationship, which by the way, means that you're growing, by the way, means that you're changing, by the way, means that you're creating a new skill set for yourself. So it's a gift to yourself to be doing this. And if you could look at that, not just that you're wasting your time because you're not having the outcome that you want, but that you're working very closely with yourself to change. And that changes your relationship with that person, as well as possibly other people in your life. And that's amazing. What we're saying is, please use the site fully. To really have this work, you want to use the program fully and not just piecemeal it. You want to actually progress through the modules, progress through the podcast, dive in, be in the groups, participate in various things so that you could really integrate this information into your system and start using it. Yeah. Become a part of the allies community. Getting bigger. Yep. There we go. Thank you, ladies. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. 
If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.